Hello, and welcome back to our podcast, The Boss Ravioli Queens. We are Boss Lady Amy, Nicole Ravioli, and Jasmine the Queen. And we are three very real caregivers who decided we are going to spill all the ravioli on the ins and outs of working in healthcare. This isn't your usual podcast. If you came here for health and beauty tips, you're going to be disappointed because we are going to get messy. Every other week, we will feature a different topic that dives into the not-so-talked-about, taboo, and just plain underbelly of healthcare. We will talk about what it's like being a caregiver outside of work and all of the struggles that come with it, just trying to be normal, everyday people. On that note, let's get messy. Warning, this podcast includes profane language, crude humor, mature subjects, and possible talk of bodily fluids. This may not be suitable for listeners under the age of 18. Episode 3, The Yellow Brick Road of Cognitive Disabilities versus Mental Illness. So, (laughs) cognitive disabilities versus mental illness. I guess we should probably explain the difference first. We're doing podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Just picked up you saying podcasts. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. We, Are we, we work well this in shit chaotic environments. <laughs> so anyways, Amy, take the floor. Cause. Okay. <laughs> okay, so the difference between, well, I guess I'll say what a cognitive disability is first. So basically, a cognitive disability is essentially when there is something physically wrong with your brain. Um, it could be, you know, genetic. You could have something chromosomal. Um, it could be a traumatic brain injury, also known as a TBI. Basically, just something that is physically different with your brain than the average person. And mental illness is a chemical thing. It's like something that's wrong with your brain chemically. A chemical imbalance. Yes, a chemical imbalance. So <clears throat> there might not be anything wrong with your brain physically, but it could be chemically. And then, of course, you have the people who have... A cognitive disability, and then they also have mental illness on top of it. That's a bitch. Oh, <laughs> oh that's a bitch. <laughs> so, uh, now that we've talked about that, let's get down to the nitty gritty. Working with it. <laughs> Working with it. I don't know why I said it. it They're people. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, like, so. But you know what we mean. Like, working with it can be very, very difficult because you never know what's going to be different or how they're going to feel from day to day. Yeah. So I think we should kind of go into a little bit the most common cognitive disabilities that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. Well, if you're working in behavioral, I would say the most common is autism. But there's so many different classifications on the spectrum so what I'm talking about as far as autism goes are more so like the nonverbal, very easily triggered like sound sensitive overstimulated and that causes them to have behaviors and those behaviors can range anywhere from self injurious so like them banging their head on the floor or um, like biting themselves I've seen that or hitting themselves in the chest yeah that's Um, a big one and then physically aggressive behaviors as well so and they can't control it so there's like there are a lot of people that are like oh I would totally swing back and I'm like how would you ever do that because they literally can't help it Mm -hmm. they don't know that they're causing you harm they're just they just know that there's something wrong with them right so 
Anyways, um, physical behaviors, so, like, I have gotten punched, kicked, slapped, hair ripped out of my head, like, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Raise your hand if you've ever gotten elbowed in the windpipe on your birthday. No? <laughs> Just me? Okay. <laughs> I'll put my hand down now. Raise your hand yep. if you've ever been personally victimized by Regina George. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't... I don't miss that. Been spit on. Oh, oh, I've been spit. Yeah. Spit is the thing I can't do. I can deal with vomit. I can deal with blood. I can deal with pee. I can deal with poop. Not spit. I mm, hate so spit. Gross. I hate it. Or and I like, don't know why. Or like the people that you have that drool like all the time. Mm. And oh. it's like excessive. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Like the ones where like they have to wear clothing protectors. For those of you who don't know, we call that clothing protectors instead of bibs because we want to try and keep up... Um, it's degrading. Digni- yes, dignity. So instead of calling them bibs, we call them clothing protectors, but they're essentially the same thing. And there are some people that drool so bad that eventually their clothing protectors get like... Soaked all the way through. almost from just being used so much from the same spot being drooled in all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's so nasty. And it's so hard keeping up that face, like, oh, don't worry about it, it's okay. Because mm-hmm. sometimes they are embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes they're very embarrassed. <clears throat> but it's, ugh. Mm. Okay, so we talked about autism. Um, just, like, the other slew of behavioral residents tend to consist of schizophrenics. Yeah which usually comes with some sort of manic bipolar disorder as well so that's really fun and oh i'm missing i'm missing like another big one i feel like um well yeah bipolar i would say the most common cognitive mental illness uh behavioral combination that we see is autism and schizophrenia yeah. Like, yeah, for sure. They just, I don't know, they seem to go hand in hand. Um, sometimes ADHD, that's less popular, at least in where we work, that we see, but... Um, it's usually not as, like, severe of, like, a behavior, behavioral situation either, so... Yeah. Another big one that we see is cerebral palsy, which is... It it defects your it's brain, more, but it's more your it's body. It's more physical than anything. Yeah, I would say but it's it more does of like make, the muscular aspect. It does make the brain like a little slower. It's more like you have um, kind of like a certain like age mentality almost. Right. And the one thing that I hate when doctors just slap on that um, unspecified cognitive delay. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, what... What does that mean? Do you want to know what my favorite unspecified category is? Oh, God. Unspecified mood disorder. Oh. <laughs> I so. hate that. I hate like, that. Oh, you could be bipolar. You could have anxiety. Yeah. You could have depression. Like, what does that mean? And then when you're taking care of them, you have to sit and guess at it. Be like, oh. okay, what is what, what, what is this? The only <laughs> time it's helpful is when it's for PRNs, because then you can give it out for a lot of different things. But as far as, like, diagnoses goes, that's really hard, because then you have to play the guessing game. Mm-hmm. Literally. 
Yeah, I'm not a fan. Or like the worst one, you don't see it as much anymore, but sometimes they do, they do still diagnose people with unspecified mental retardation. Yep. Like, it's not as common, but we do see it sometimes. Also, please don't get offended, because that's the literal medical diagnosis terminology. Like, yep. we're not... We're not using that word in, like, a derogatory way at all. Nope. That is truly some people's diagnosis still, which I don't agree with. Because there's so many other ways to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we kind of talked about dealing with behaviors at work. So I guess we could go to more of, like, the mental or the cognitive side now. Like, working with people with cognitive disabilities rather than mental illness. I think the the biggest difference with that is like mental illness for the most part like they have some control over their actions like unless they're so 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 severe that like they just have no control over it but like for the most part they can usually be talked down if they're like escalated but you know with cognitive disabilities like Nicole is saying there's just you can't change that I mean it's literally in the way that they're like that's just how their brain works. So it's a lot of, with cognitive disabilities, it's a lot of redirecting. And with with mental illness, it's a lot of just talking down, being calm. <laughs> so as I was saying, before Miss Ravioli here dropped her, the eans. <laughs> <laughs> so basically the biggest difference with mental versus cognitive disabilities is just it's all in the approach and like I was saying with cognitive disabilities it's a lot of redirecting just being really really calm um just really watching what you say how you say it and mental illness present yourself or body language also that's a huge one and then mental illness is a lot of just yeah I feel like yep that's about it (laughs) (laughs) I feel like with the behavioral side too, like, I know you guys basically pretty much said what I'm going to say, but it's all in the way you present yourself. Like, Mm -hmm. if you're feeling anxious, they're going to pick up on that, and they're going to get anxious. Absolutely. So, it's all basically like putting on a mask every single fucking day. So when you eat, and then you just forget who you are at that point. Right. <laughs> well, and too, like, I will say that that happens, like, when a really negative staff member leaves. And, like, I've had so many instances where they're gone, and then the residents would be like, oh, it's her first day gone? Mm-hmm. Thank God. Like, they mm-hmm. pick up on that stuff. They do. They really, really do. And it's, it can make it very hard, too, when somebody who, like, doesn't care does leave like a staff member finally leaves and then you're stuck there fixing all the mistakes like literally picking up the pieces Mm -hmm. yeah exactly i mean and especially too like if the staff was nice to the residents but mean to like other staff members they pick up on that stuff too yeah for sure like they they know they They, know what they listen they learn (laughs) yeah and that's what a lot of people don't understand Like, it still goes back to, like, the cardinal rules that you first learn when you're a caregiver, but people forget that, like, they do know what's going on. Absolutely. It doesn't matter if they've got a mental illness or a cognitive disability, like, 
they pick up on so much and they hear everything you say, especially if you're like having a personal conversation in front of them. Like if you're talking about your personal life and how you and your boyfriend just broke up or you're getting a divorce or so-and-so did this to you, like my, oh, Cindy is a bitch and I don't like her. Well then if one of the residents really likes you, then that's going to make them act different towards Cindy. Mm-hmm. And it can almost be, like, the equivalent of, like, when you have a young child and how they pick up on everything you do at home. Right. Well, and that part of it kind of goes back to some residents just don't know how to form, like, appropriate relationships. And so they think, okay, my favorite staff member hates Cindy. That means I hate Cindy, too, even though she's done nothing wrong to me. Right. I actually was. Poor Cindy. <laughs> Poor Cindy. She's a bitch. <laughs> so I actually did have a resident who um, thought that they were going to marry one of the staff. Oh, God. It was so awful. Like, he would be on her ass all day, every day. And she, like, finally got the balls, basically, to tell him that it wasn't going to happen. And my God, the behaviors... Ooh boy, he was he was like elope. Oh, great, eloping is when they run away. Anyways, um, he was eloping all the time. He was like trying to beat the shit out of everybody all the time. Like, it caused so many problems. And personally, I think they should have moved her out of that house as soon as he said anything about like marriage. Right. Right. Or like, they should have moved the staff member or even... And actually know, well before that, too. Like, well before it got to that point. Because it was very known that he had, like, this huge crush on her, too. Right. So, yeah. Um, fun times. Well, and also people have to understand that someone with that sort of disability, like, to them, that's normal. That's how they make those interpersonal relationships. That's how they like bond so to speak Mm -hmm. so you have to be very very clear on your boundaries from the start like for example I have a resident who tells me all the time I'm their best friend and I always say no I'm your staff you are a resident and every time they're always like are you sure yes I'm positive sometimes it might sound a little mean but it's better to be clear right from the Mm get-go And then you have those staff that give in and are like, sure, of course we're best friends. Like, mm mm-mm, that's going to bite you later. All right, so moving on, um, we're going to talk about mental institutions. Woo! Fun. Woo! Um, I have worked in a mental institution. Cracker barrels. Cracker barrels? Oh, my God. Um... So I've worked in a mental institution because I was a CNA for like two and a half to three years, I think it was. I think we have all kind of worked in one, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I've never officially worked in a mental institution, but I have I have a million and one mental residents. <laughs> it's the same thing. Basically, you just didn't have the same state regs that we did. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Institutions are something else. Oh, difficult. Yes. <sighs> Admissions. So that's basically where people go when they are trigger warning. Trigger warning. We're going to talk about um, 
when people are suicidal because that's where they go grippy sock vacation i've thought about taking one quite a few times (laughs) Um, (coughs) a little menti bakey can i have a good old-fashioned menti b (laughs) um also people from people that are drunk also can get sent there for like it can either be an overnight or a 72-hour hold but (laughs) should we explain a 72-hour hold Oh, yeah. Um, So basically, a 72-hour hold is non-negotiable. There's no leaving against medical advice. You are literally stuck there for 72 hours because you are either a danger to yourself or Or others. And that, I mean, like, immediate danger. So, yeah, that's not fun to deal with, but I also feel really bad for people that end up like that. Like, I took care of a lot of them, and a lot of them had really, really sad stories. Um, so it's also important to note that a 72-hour hold does have to come from, like, the police. Um, it's, like she said, it's not optional. It's also called being chaptered or a chapter 51. Oh, chapter 51. Mm. Not to be confused with area 51. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, so... Since you both worked in mental institution <laughs> institutions, God, maybe I'm use your one. intuition. Intuitions, intuitions, intabutins. <laughs> Just lock me up. <laughs> Throw in a cave. Give me that nice white jacket. <clears throat> Ooh, the bouncy walls, though. Ugh. Okay, but in the mental institution that I worked at, they didn't even have the fucking bouncy walls. It was literally gym mats. That were like mm-hmm. glued on to the walls. And I don't know how that really works because those are pretty hard too. <laughs> like, they don't do a whole lot of protecting your head. Right. So, oh. Oh, story time, story time, story time. <laughs> so, sound the alarms. There was once a resident that I took care of on admissions and he threatened to stab my coworker in the neck with a pen. <clears throat> Oh. Nice. While we already had him in the padded room. So guess who got to go in five point restraints? Nice. <laughs> yeah. Fun. Oh, now fine. I have to explain the regs on that. God yes. dang it. We did kind of touch on it on a previous <clears throat> podcast, but Oh no, they're like the actual depth. like institution regs for being oh, in five yeah, point it's restraints. A bit different, yeah. So basically you get this really fun shot in the booty that shows you the fuck out. <laughs> And you have to stay in the five-point restraints until you're calm, but we have to do, like, literally five-minute checks. Make sure that the restraints are loose enough that they're not cutting off circulation, but you also can't slip them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, And then I believe after an hour, we actually have to let the person out of restraints as well. But obviously, you're going to have, like, multiple people in there just in case they try something fucky, mm-hmm. which has happened. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't miss it. And you're literally, like, laying on a bed with restraints on both wrists, both ankles, and then one across, like, your chest or your midsection, depending. And please keep in mind that this does not happen in other places that are not mental mental institutions. We're not just tying up grandma because we want to have a good time. And most of the time, they're, like... They're not even restrained or anything unless they become it's a major necessary. danger. 
Well, I mean, he literally said he was going to stab her in the neck, so... Yeah, right. <laughs> um, he also... We had, like, those weighted tables and chairs, like, the ones that you put, like, 50 or 150 pounds of sand in or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. He yeah. almost flipped the fucking table. Wow. Like, it was insane. Like, turned into Hulk out of nowhere. And it was over the stupidest shit. Literally, he was sitting by these two other patients, and they were kind of picking on the one person. Mm -hmm. So, I literally just went over there, and I was like, hey, if you guys can't have, like, a decent civil conversation without making someone feel like shit, then you need to separate. Right. So, he got all pissed off about it, because I had to go over there for a second time, and then my coworker. Um, had said something, and he told her that he was going to stab her in the fucking neck. Wow. Nice. Yep. Okay, moving on from story time, because I've got a million stories, and I don't <laughs> want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think um, one of the things that is important to talk about is the fact that when a person with cognitive disabilities who also has behaviors... When they get sent to a mental institution, it is usually the last resort. Like, we try so, so, so hard to keep them out of those places because it is an extra trigger for them because they're different from the people with the mental illnesses. They literally cannot control what they are doing. And so sometimes it can be really, really dangerous sending a person, say, for example, with a traumatic brain injury to a mental institution. Yeah, like, we literally have to exhaust all options before mm -hmm. that yeah, happens. Yeah, it's literally the last option. And normally, when they do, like, placements and stuff for um, most people, mental illnesses, or regardless, honestly, they try to put them in the least restrictive environment. Yep. And if it becomes a, too much of a problem, then they start getting into more restrictive options. So, I think now would be a good time to explain good old CPI. Ugh. <laughs> so, CPI is holds. And again, must be in the care plan. It has to be in the care plan that you are allowed to restrain these people. Um, <clears throat> so, the only one I really remember, honestly, is the basket hold. And I did not like that one because it can actually cut off the airway. And I don't really know how to explain what it looks like. Maybe we could include maybe, some pictures or something. I mean, maybe we can, like, even... We'll do, like, videos in the future on, like, how these holds work. Oh, that'd be fun. Would probably Ooh, be a good yeah. idea. We can always do that for you guys, too. Yeah, that'd be fun. So... So we'll kind of, like, explain it a little bit or whatever, and then we'll probably end up doing videos or something about them. Yeah, and I guess it's probably important to mention that you most of the time need two people for these holds. Most of the time, not all the time. Like, they do teach you one person, but mm, the one person is more of like a dodge. It's more of a dodge and, and run kind of thing, enough to get you away from that person who may be trying to hurt you. Honestly, I remember being trained at the mental institution job <clears throat> and one of my coworkers was like, yep, time to re-up on the Mickey Mouse horse shit. Because <laughs> they hardly ever work. Like, you have to get them in the position right. for them to be able to work. Right, right. So I think another important thing to note about CPI 
is that this is something that we are trained on to only protect ourselves and other residents and not cause any harm to the person. Like, you are specifically trained on how to, um, I guess, make sure everyone is safe are and not... Are you plugging your nose? What? You sounded like you were holding no, your nose. I was itching my nose. I was oh. going like this. <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Well, that's all I really had to say is that, like, the, the purpose of it is not to just be like, hey, let's go and wrestle. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, not, our, it's not our goal to just be Boss like. Boss Lady Amy's on the top ropes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my goal to just be like, you know what? I really want to hold down a resident today. Right. <laughs> like, that is not what CPI is about. Also, I've heard it stand for different things. I've always been taught that it's crisis prevention intervention, but I've also been I've also heard that it stands for different things. Like caregiver protection intervention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all the same thing though. It's basically just how to protect yourself and other residents while holding the resident in a safe place, essentially. And also there are there's another set of holds. It's called MANT, which is I was taught for another place that I worked. They're supposed to be safer than CPI holds, I guess. But um, I don't really know technically if they are safer or not. But that's just what we were taught, I guess. And also, too, like, this doesn't happen on a day-to-day. Like, this is not a thing that we're just, like, doing all the time. This is happens maybe, like, once every, what? six months maybe yeah it's rare it's very rare unless you work in a mental institution on admissions yeah then you're gonna be dealing with this a lot but where we work that's not the case and if we have someone that is so high behavioral they're getting a 30 day anyway right now you gotta explain a 30 day god (laughs) damn it (laughs) (laughs) so a 30 day is something that we issue to a resident's um, care team, which we already explained, right? I think we explained that. Care teams, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, payer sources, whatever. So, basically, they help with um, finding placement. So, you would issue that 30-day to the care team. Then that would be them trying to find pay- a new place for that resident to go. But the thing with 30 days is that they are not actually 30 days. It is not concrete. It. And so, no, like, no one's ever, like, getting kicked out on the street unless, like, it's a situation where they're so, so, so unsafe that we, like, call 911 or whatever and they go out and then they never come back. Which does happen. It's rare, but it does happen. But most of the time when you issue a 30-day, that person cannot leave until they have, like, new appropriate housing set up. So sometimes a person can literally get a 30-day and still be there for the next year until their care team has found them somewhere else to go. Mm-hmm. I so badly wanted to say the Wubba name. <laughs> Please excuse that. Um, we're kind of filming this from my car, and my phone's hooked up to it. So wubba lubba dub dub, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. I thought we talked about this silencing your phone. It doesn't work. It's hooked up to my car. <laughs> Excuses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyways, um, I think the joys of poverty. <laughs> poverty. 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 <laughs> 
So, anyways, um, next, next topic. Oh, good lord. <laughs> um, <laughs> alright, so, we did touch a little bit about how behaviors are not one size fits all. Um, there are plenty of people who can have the same cognitive disability or mental illness or both that, um... Are triggered differently. Yep, are triggered differently and have different behaviors. Um... And, like, we were talking about autism before. We take care of a lot of uh, people with autism who are very, like, they have it really, really bad. Um, But there's a lot of people that have autism and they function just fine and they can live on their own. Um, And that's why, you know, the people we take care of end up in the homes that we serve. Because they are so severely affected by their disability that they just can't function like other people. And also, <laughs> fucking props to the people with autism that are high-functioning, like, can live out in society, because they still have triggers, mm-hmm. but they ha- they learn how to of, manage them, yeah. and it takes so much effort mm-hmm. and, like, time to be able to master and that. And even a lot of those people may have been in homes before because they didn't know how to manage it, yep. and then they get to the point where... Um, they are able to manage it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I'm just going to go ahead and like touch on the subject of the ISP and BSPs, which we did kind of cover a little bit in our first episode. So if you want to go back and listen to that. Um, but the ISPs and BSPs, especially for behavioral people, is definitely very, very important to really look through um, because it is really, really going to tell you what you need to know about these people and what's the best way to keep them from um, getting all those triggers and having all those behaviors. And how to redirect them if they do have yes. those behaviors. Yes, for sure. Oh my God, that is so important. Like knowing how, and it's not going to work for everybody. Like you find no. your you find your own niche with everybody, but it's definitely a really great set of guidelines as a starting point to figure out what works best Mm. for that person and you and it's gonna change like something that used to work for somebody might not work work months and months down the line so that's why the isps and bsps are like always constantly updated Mm -hmm. okay but can we talk about like the places that we've worked that didn't update bsps and isps Mm -hmm. because holy fucking shit do you want my list? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was so frustrating. Like, if if the manager of whatever home you're working for or whatever facility you're working for doesn't keep up to date on those, it is detrimental. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I literally could have died. Mm-hmm. Literally could have died. Multiple times, actually. Mm-hmm. So... And I know coffee judgingly. (laughs) I know that it sounds like I'm being dramatic, but I literally got to say the line. (laughs) (laughs) But I literally got pushed in front of a semi on the highway on two separate occasions. Nice. Two separate occasions, and it all could have been avoided with proper BSP updating. Updating, literally. Well, it's the same as, like, medications. You know, sometimes people just grow tolerant of medications. It's the same for um, redirections. Like, sometimes something just stops working and you have to try something new. Right. Um, so, yeah, and like he said before, we did touch on that a lot in our previous episode. So, I think we're going to go ahead and move on. 
Um, so another really fun one is what we are trained to do when two residents have an altercation. Oh. Oh, boy. <laughs> or should I say not trained on? Basically. <laughs> not trained on. Absolutely. So <clears throat> Caregiving 101, when they teach you about resident altercations, it's drilled into our heads. Never get in between them if they are physically fighting. And anyone who is a decent caregiver is going to feel really torn on this because they want to help the residents and break up the fight and make sure everyone's safe. But at the same time, you also don't want to get the shit beat out of you because mm-hmm. then what good are you to the clients? Right. So it's honestly, they tell you not to do it, but I mean, it's kind of one of those situations where it's very circumstantial. You just need to kind of figure out your it's best almost, move. It's almost kind of personal judgment at that at, point. Yes, exactly. Like, if you think you can break it up without anybody getting physically hurt and stuff or whatever, then... I guess go for it, but... Or, like, catching it before it even happens, like, mm-hmm. separating the residents yes. before it even gets like to that know, point. Like, if you know what's going to turn into an altercation, just pick 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 a resident and see if you can get them redirected before anything goes further than that. Or right. if, if, like, your co-worker is cool with it, take them on a one-on-one outing in the community. Yeah. Like, go drive somewhere, yeah. spend some time. Yeah, spend some time away so they can be separated. <clears throat> and it, it depends on how close they are, too. Like, I've definitely gotten in the middle of fights before where someone's, like, three feet away from me on one side and someone's three feet away from mm-hmm. me on the other side and I'm in the middle. And that's fine because I know the people I know they're not going to lunge at me. They might lunge at each other. But if I'm in the middle, they won't do that. So you have to know your residents mm. as well. But, I mean, if they're, like, up close and personal, you know, punching each other in the face, that's a situation where it's better to just make sure all the other residents are safe, make sure everyone's in the room, and if you have to, call 911. Right. And also make sure that someone has eyes on the situations at all times. Right. Yeah, so because you have to document, document, document everything that happened. Incident reports. Oh, my favorite. (laughs) Not. Worst thing in my fucking life. At least they're computerized now, though. Yeah. Writing that shit out. At some places. At some places. But (laughs) writing that shit out. Dude, I once had to write, like, a four-page incident report. Mm -hmm. And I mean write it out. Like, Mm -hmm. not type it. Write it. Mm-hmm. And it was like... Like written an essay for high school. It oh, is. so so bad. And with incident reports, you have to write what happened before, during, and after the altercation. And who all witnessed it, including any other residents that may have been around that witnessed yep. it. Yep. And depending yep. on how intense it was, sometimes you have to get an actual resident mm-hmm. statement. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if the police involved, you have to get that statement also. Yep. And you have to say... You know, oh, where was staff? Could this have been prevented? How was it resolved? Did you attempt to redirect? Mm-hmm. All of those things. And, and then, then what attempts at redirection you made and also. And then after you have all that done, then that means you have to contact family members and care teams and supervisors because everybody needs to be aware of the situation that happened. So you have a whole team of people working on how to resolve it so it doesn't happen again. Yeah, so we should go into that a little bit. So anytime there's any sort of incident, you know, fighting, fall, behavior, whatever, you have to have all of the contacting, at least to your supervisor, the guardian, and the incident report written before the end of your shift. And then you, as the supervisor, have to report that within 24 hours to the care team. 
<clears throat> but a lot of the times it happens much quicker than that, especially if the situation got really, really escalated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, <clears throat> with emails and everything, you literally, they'll get it when they come in. Right. And that's only if they don't answer their phone, though. Yeah. Right. And the nice thing about that, at least with emailing the care teams, is you don't have to double back and send them the incident report and then also send them a written email of what happened. You can either just upload the incident report and send that, or you could just do a quick little recap of the incident. And then email is always the best way to go when you're communicating with anybody who's on that person's team because it's a written form of documentation. Mm -hmm. Oh, y'all, we forgot that you have to do multiple incident reports because there's different residents involved. Yep. Mm, Yep, so it'd be more than one because... For the resident and then the other one. Yep. And both get one. And... It's really fun because the resident that you're writing the report on, you can use their name. It's fine. But the, the other, other resident has to be identified as, like, peer or... Consumer. Consumer or, or client. Or yeah, client. it's just... Oh. The only time you can use initials of the other resident is when, like, the care team has both of those people on their caseload. But the poopy part about that is sometimes when you're sending out the emails... And so if you have email communication with the guardians, you have to send two different versions of it because the care team knows who you're talking about, Mm -hmm. but the guardians might not. Yeah. And then if you use their name and send it to a care team that only works with one client, then it's a HIPAA violation. Exactly. Oh, the fun things. (laughs) So that's a little bit more... Um, administrative, the average caregiver isn't going to have to worry about that part. They're just going to have to worry about reporting it to their supervisor. But we all know this because we have all been in management and we've all had to do this. Mm -hmm. So I feel like now's a good time to move on from this before we go off on another tangent. (laughs) I agree. So I think the last thing that we're going to talk about before we wrap this episode up is basically the fact that we're told not to put ourselves in harm's way, um, but yet we're expected to basically give our entire lives to this job. Like, basically, how mm. can you how can you do that? You know, mm-hmm. that's why so many caregivers feel so torn in this job. A lot well, of times they don't necessarily ask us to, like, give our whole lives or whatever, but, like... It's implied. But it's implied, and some, depending on who your manager is and stuff or whatever, it's almost expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. They will never come right out and say it, but it's kind of those, you know, beating around the bush sort of mm. ways that they say things that just make you pick up on that. Or they like to try to guilt trip you. Yeah, it's like an unspoken rule almost. Mm. Um, especially being in management, like oh, if if there's like a no call no show or someone is sick and can't come in and they even even with notice, like if you're working somewhere else, you can't clone yourself, so then you have to try and find coverage or like, the worst thing possible happens, and someone gets stuck on a shift. And if they're already working a 16, that turns into a 24. Yep. Why haven't you figured out cloning technology yet? <laughs> God damn it. I don't know. Let's talk. <laughs> be so convenient. You know what? I can just run a facility by myself. <laughs> Let's talk to the people that tried to clone the sheep. <laughs> Cause they Get were on to something. They were, they were on to something. They were. Ugh. Bring that shit over to healthcare. Stat. 
So, yeah, like, the the shittiest part of that is the 24-hour thing, obviously, Mm -hmm. but the other shitty part is that if you're the manager and you can cover it, you have to. Mm -hmm. You have to go in. You literally have to drop whatever you're doing. Like, if you're supposed to be on a day off and it's not PTO, oh, well, no more day off for you. Sucks to suck. Especially, too, like, if you get a call that, you know, someone fell or they're going to the hospital or whatever, like... Sorry, even if you're not working, you still have to come in now, especially if the caregiver is new or if they don't know how to deal with those behaviors. You're going to get those panic phone calls and you're like, okay, I'll be right there. (laughs) (laughs) But I think before we get too long or whatever, we might start wrapping up this episode. I think so. Um, By all means, if you, as usual, if you guys have any questions, um... We're going to have those socials linked, so if you want to comment and ask questions, we can probably do an episode literally where we just do Q&As. Yep, for sure. Yeah, I think we need to do some AMA-style episodes for sure. Yes. All right. Well, this wraps up episode three. Until next time. Go wash your ass. Bye. (laughs) Bye. This has been the Boss Ravioli Queens podcast with your hosts, Boss Lady Amy, Nicole Ravioli, and Jasmine the Queen. Thank you so much for spilling your ravioli with us. Don't worry, we'll serve you more next time.